This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. This is Season 7, and every week during this season, we'll bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together like-minded organizations who are focused on making disciples. Our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker, and this podcast aims at doing just that. Before we get into today's session, I want you to know about an ebook called Multiplying Disciples by Winfield Bevins, which discipleship.org released in partnership with Exponential. Multiplying Disciples draws wisdom from church history by looking at several important disciple-making movements, the Celtic movement, the Moravian movement, and the Methodist movement. These movements offer vital contributions to the church that can help you Rediscover the power of making and multiplying disciples of Jesus Christ in the 21st century. Author Winfield Bevins is the director of church planting at Asbury Theological Seminary. Download his ebook, Multiply Disciples, at discipleship.org/ebooks, or click on the link of the show notes for this episode. Today's featured episode is from Exponential, called "Mobilizing Millennials for Mission," featuring Grant Skeldon and Monica Zuniga. Hey everyone, welcome. Well, we're excited to be with you guys. Um, I'll introduce us and then we'll get started. My name's Monica Zuniga. Uh, this is Grant Skeldon. We are both, uh, uh, we lead in a lot of different spheres, but we're here on behalf of Exponential, which is a partner of ours in our ministry, um, helping lead this breakout, which is mobilizing millennials. So if you are here and that's not what you meant to come to, you're in the wrong track. Um, but Grant and I also work together on staff with Initiative Network, and at Ad Initiative, we catalyze and mobilize the most dynamic and diverse young leaders of this generation. So anyone under the age of 40 that has a platform and influence, don't think just online, uh, really if they have a business, if they are entrepreneurs, if they're actors, if they're pastors, if they're speakers, um, and they are doing things for the kingdom, we connect with them, we mobilize them together in unforgettable experiences like retreats where we connect them as well with older leaders, um, seasoned leaders, leaders who can pour into their lives. And we, we really are about resourcing them to just grow their impact at a greater level. As many of you know, 7 out of 10 millennials are leaving the church. It's worse um, with Gen Z. They're unchurched. And so we know they're, they're getting their influence online or from other people. So we're gathering those big influence people, and we're pouring into them to ensure that they have biblical literacy, they have truth, they're living their lives aligned with the gospel so they can reach people that we can't reach in our spheres. And then we do a lot of this on an everyday basis. So um, I'll turn over to Grant, he's going to kick us off and then we'll keep going. What's up fam, how are y'all? Hey, I'm going to pray just to start us out. Um, Yeah, just if you guys would bow your heads or you can open your eyes, it doesn't matter. Um, Lord, thank you for a conference like this. I for years, I've actually watched different videos from this conference. I, I do think the the idea of discipleship, um, God, would you just make it more prevalent in your church? Uh, would you make more young leaders uh, be hungry for it? Uh, more young people have the honor uh, for the older generation and seek it out. Um, even disrupt their, just let them get tired of just surrounding themselves with only young people and desire those that have gone before them um, God, I also pray that there would be some seasoned leaders that just continue to, uh, instead of criticizing the next generation, instead of um, just losing hope, um, that they would find a few and pour into them, God. Uh, we can't 
do your mission without you. And luckily, your Great Commission says that all authority has been given to you. And you said at the end that you will never leave us and you are always with us. And so, um, God, we know that it's not something that we have to do in our own strength. We just want to catch up to what you're doing. Uh, forgive us for any times when we get distracted by things that are really, really cool in the church, but not really what you called us to do. And forgive us for when we just drop the ball. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, fam. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Um, real quick, just to give a, I always like to give this picture to give a visual of what it's like to be a next-gen Christian. Um, if you're associating yourself with the church, um, this is like a quick search. Uh, any of you guys still have a Yahoo email? Dude, how do yeah. you have a Yahoo email? You're like, how old are you? It's my junk mail account. I made it when I was like, <laughs> yeah, <senior. laughs> Good deal, good deal. Exactly. Hold on one second. Um, so, this is uh, the most common searches. Uh, give me a letter real quick if you guys can. Z? Okay, Z. <laughs> Anyone else? Judgmental, angry. Another letter? Yes. S, let's see what comes up. Slow, why are Christians so slow, so good, sick, and so much? Anyone else? A. A. Angry? B. E. Let's see what comes up. Why are Christians so enough? Why are so eyes, everything, energy? I don't, yeah, those are quite interesting ones. Um, I've done this search several times, and uh, almost every time, just here's, here's one that I actually did. I want to see what come up this time. This is uh, a little bit before I came here. Actually, this is actually probably last year. Is it said, why are Christians so stupid, judgmental, hateful, mean, intolerant, judgmental, uh, self-righteous, unhappy, and annoying? Uh, if you put in the letter M, it was mean, uh, miserable, mean to non-Christians, mean to each other, mean-spirited. A was annoying, arrogant, afraid of Muslims, angry, against yoga, Awful, afraid to die against evolution, afraid of dying. And I found one good word was L, why are they so loving, followed by um, lukewarm or sometimes legalistic comes up. And so uh, it's kind of a sobering idea to say, like, these aren't people trying to, like, diss us as Christians. These are people that have had, like, legit concerns or experiences that have made them the most popular searches to figure out why are we this way. Um, and so last yesterday we did three breakouts and one of the questions that kept coming up is how do we reach millennials and uh, I would say the best way to reach millennials one is on a personal level is to start by discipling millennials Um, the second thing though collectively is I think we should stop asking how to reach millennials and start asking how do we leverage millennials to reach other millennials or how do we leverage this generation to reach their generation and the next generation and so I want to get into um Let's see, two things. I want to talk about a division in the church. I'm going to use a whiteboard to kind of show this. Is How many of you guys are familiar with the five-fold ministry or APEST? Um, raise your hands if you guys can. Okay, um, good deal. So Ephesians 4.11, uh, I'm actually going to... Can someone pull it up? Does anyone have uh, yeah. the Bible with them, hopefully, here? So I just want to make sure I read it correctly. Uh, Ephesians 4.11. I'm actually going to have you read it, sir. Unless someone else gets it. If anyone has it right now, just let me know. And as you guys are as you're getting that, I'm going to draw this out. All right. Yeah, if you could just read it um, out loud. Ephesians 4.11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Yeah. 
Many of y'all have, who, how many of you guys have heard that verse about uh, giving them to equip the body and build up the body for the work of Christ? I think most of us have heard that part. I don't think we usually quote the, the, the first part of the verse, like A, I guess it would be, is the, that he gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Or in this case, we would write it out, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And so just uh, real quick to give you guys an idea, I think there is, of course, um, attention or division in our country. I don't know if you ever turn on the news. You've got to catch it at the right time. But every now and then I get on the news and I look at what's going on. It just feels like, again, it's rare, but you'll see the news and it feels like there's a little bit of division in our country. Have y'all seen it at all? Like, yeah, you got it's rare, but like you might catch it like, uh, if it's at the right time. And I think that the enemy's number one tool and strategy against the church is division. Um, I think it is our job as Christians to disrupt division, actually, that we are peacemakers, we are bridge builders. Um, just to get an idea, the, there was a spoiler alert for the enemy when Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Like, if I was the enemy, I'd be like, everything this man has ever said has always come true. And he just said that the way it's going to end is the church is going to be the church. And even my gates cannot defend the church from like we would be not on the defensive but on the offensive when we are the church and so if i was the enemy i would say if i can't defeat the church then how about i try to divide the church and i think we can look at our country and the church and say he's done a really good job of trying to divide us by race <coughs> he divides us by generation he divides us by uh denomination he divides us by political stance um, but one of the Divisions I don't think we talk about in the church that I think has huge um, implications for the next generation is the division of, I, I don't know if I can call it occupation or the division of calling, but there are, or the division between sacred and secular. But for the next generation, there's not that much of a division between sacred and secular. And that's a great thing. But uh, there's a the tension I want to show you all in the church between the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. And so also I want to say this real quick. Some of you guys, depending on the denomination you're a part of, when you hear the word that some of us can still be apostles or prophets, that rubs you the wrong way. Um, I grew up Baptist, as you can tell. I look like a typical Baptist. Um, I went to Southwestern, um, looked like a typical Southwestern grad, I'm sure. Um, if you don't know Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, I do not look anything like one. Um, so I grew up with that wasn't a word. So what I'm saying is it's lowercase apostle, lowercase prophet. And I would even say it's a prophetic gifting or apostolic gifting, but what that doesn't mean is a prophetic person can say, this is what the Lord is saying and we must follow. There's no adding to the word. And also, if you struggle with that uh, verse at all, um, or that those words, just remember um, that it's in the Bible, and that always helps me, okay? And so, uh, <laughs> just I'm playing, but also, I don't want uh, us to miss this because we don't like certain verses in the Bible. Uh, with that being said, let's talk about these types of giftings. I'll start with teacher and shepherd and how this is important, and I'll get into the tension of the division and how this uh, applies to millennial missionaries or next-gen missional type of young Christians. Teachers and shepherds are the easiest words to understand already. I mean, most churches have very strong teachers or shepherds. Um, would y'all have any y'all? Do any y'all know a huge megachurch with several campuses, satellite campuses, that has a terrible teacher, just poor teachers? Like, why do you go to that church? He's like, I love the programs, but the communicators like terrible. Do y'all know any type of large churches with a bad teacher? You do. I don't want to say the name, but um, there's not a lot though. Would you? Would we all agree that many of the largest churches happen to have great communicators? Yeah. Um, 
Then sometimes though there is a move right now happening where there's more there are people starting to leave these churches that are sometimes built around an incredible communicator. Um, not that that's a bad thing. It's just he's so gifted that uh, they just yeah they listen to him. They could even listen to him when he's not even there. It's just a screen, and they go to a church where maybe they're shepherded more. They have programs that can pour into them. They get to actually know the staff or know the leadership. And uh, they like I can podcast that church, but I can actually be led by these people or know these people. Again, I'm not trying to say either or. I think God gave us every single one of these giftings. And personally, I think God is, Jesus is the perfect example of a teacher, the perfect example of a shepherd, the perfect example of an evangelist. He's the perfect prophet, the perfect apostle. Uh, and he gave us these different arenas. If you can keep the 411 later, it's going to say that, uh, that he wants us to come in unity together to the maturity of Christ, who is the fullness of all these things. And I think he gives us certain giftings. Usually people have around one or two. I've never met someone who's all five. And I think he gives us certain giftings so that we have to rely on each other and we have to be unified. And so for the shepherd piece, um, I think y'all get those are people, again, counseling, shepherding, um, moving people from A to B through the gospel. Um, And these tend to be the most common church pastor leaders, if you will. Um, What I found is uh, evangelists, prophets, and apostles, that's the second most common outside of the church that we're like, okay, we get that. We understand that. The Billy Grahams of the world. But also, these guys right here are like so annoying sometimes to these guys over here. It's like these guys are like knocking on the door of the office. Guys, when are we going to start caring about X? Do y'all know this person? Yeah. It's like emailing. Do you, they start making you feel bad. Like, do you even care about these people? Like, do you even, when are we, we going to help? And, and you're as a pastor, you're like, do you know how many needs are in the city? If I listen to every person that said, we got to care about homeless people, uh, anti-human trafficking. We got to go find Coney uh, back in Uganda. We got to go and do like, we got to do the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge because millennials want to. Or we got to find Pokemon, I guess. Like, like we got to do all these different things. I'm joking about Pokemon. Is that we got to care about all these. As a church, I know you guys have, you only have so many resources, so many people. It's like, we're going to pick a few and go all in there. Um, but these people, they have a drive. Like, they have this. If this person worked full-time at a church and was mostly surrounded by Christians and worked with Christians, they would go insane. Does anyone here evangelist? You're like, that's probably a little bit me. Yeah, good deal, good deal. That's why you put said Z. <laughs> so then there's the prophetic and apostolic people. Just to give you an example, I mean, back in the day, these are guys like William Carey, um, C.T. Studd, uh, if you know John R. Mott, who like the student mobilization movement, um, or student, uh, yeah, all these like missionaries, but there are new types of evangelists. And I think this next generation is bound to be a little bit more evangelistic because most of their friends are not in church. Yeah. Like most of the kids I came, when I came to Christ at 16 years old, the young leaders of that church that were my age, that were like put in charge, I'd say 80% of them are not in church anymore. They're not walking with God. And so when we think about the numbers and statistics of young people leaving. For millennials, they're not statistics. They're literal friends. They're people that they grew up with. So they have a bent towards evangelism. Um, these guys do tend to have a bent towards the, uh, the culture and the city and the community. Um, if you haven't noticed, there's this tension where young people are leaving the church, but you know what they're also doing? Is they're joining nonprofits and they're joining causes and they're joining social entrepreneur organizations and they're do you guys see this at all? We're like, they're following these people that are like going out and doing stuff. 
Because, uh, let's just talk about the last two that tend to be a little more controversial. Um, prophetic leaders. What's the difference between a prophet or a prophetic leader today and a teacher? I personally think there are certain people that are prophetic leaders um, that they wouldn't probably even themselves say they are. Some would and some probably wouldn't. Um, and millennials do tend to like them. Because I started thinking, who of my friends are on this side? Prophetic leaders, just to give an example of what they do. The difference between them and teachers. Teachers shine light on the Word of God and guide you into deeper relationship with God. Tony Evans is a good example of that. Tim Keller is a different example. Uh, Robert Morris is an example of that. These are guys that walk you through the Bible. They'll show you a verse and highlight a verse you've heard since you're a child and then show you an angle on that. And you're like, whoa, I had never noticed that. Do you all know what I'm talking about? Have you ever read the Bible like that where they're, they're just guiding you to see the Bible differently? It changes the way you walk. Uh, a prophet doesn't shine light on the word as much as he's shining light on your heart in opposition to the word. And so uh, to get an example, guys that I think that are senior pastors, because they are rare in my ex- uh, experience, that are part of a senior pastor leadership is guys like Francis Chan, uh, Matt Chandler, uh, back in the day, Mark Driscoll, uh, David Platt. These guys, again, shining light on the word, of course, but shining light also on our heart. And it's more of a call to repentance. That is what the prophets did. Um, actually, I would say I probably have a bent towards that. I use humor so that because I started noticing that most of the prophets were getting killed in the Bible. And I was like, I have no desire and no, nothing on my calendar to get killed today. And so I try to use humor. So uh, what, what David Platt and Francis Chan, like just to, there's a difference between Tim Keller and the way Matt Chandler speaks. There's a difference between how Tony Evans and David Platt speak. Like, these guys are cussing at you, crying, cussing, if you already know who that is, um, crying, they are shouting. Like, Matt Chandler shouts at the people the whole time. Like, this is, uh, do y'all know, have y'all seen this at all? And what generation wildly flocked to these leaders? Next gen, like millennials and Gen Z are, and there's like this authenticity and this passion. I'm going to get into that. And then apostolic leaders, I would say these are the people that see the big picture. These are tend to be entrepreneurial leaders. They tend to be nonprofit leaders. Um, I think there are senior pastors that are like, like Bobby Harrington probably has this type of gift where you, you try to bring the people together. Um, Chris Hodges um, and others of ARC, where you're bringing the people together. Even, even I would say Matt Chandler uh, being a part of Acts 29 and your, your Tim Keller, I think is definitely on this area where he's like, how can I think bigger than just my church? I once asked him, um, because he's a huge component for unity in uh, New York. I asked him, I said, how, everyone keeps telling me you're the guy who's brought unity to a lot of the churches in New York. I said, how, like, how did you become so passionate about that? But how do you give time to unity when you're so busy with books, speaking, family, uh, writing, all this kind of stuff? And he said uh, that what he has to see unity as or the kingdom is he says, I try not to look at just like basically my castle, but I try to look at the kingdom and I tie my 10% to the kingdom. That's, it helps me because I don't have a lot of time, but I always try to look at 10% given to the kingdom. My staff knows that, that I'm not just trying to think about what I'm doing. I'm trying to think of what others are doing. And he used this analogy. He said, because when churches, um, just like in the human body, when churches and in, in the body of Christ, when uh, cells in the human body, he said, that only benefit themselves are like churches that only benefit themselves, but cells that only benefit themselves in the human body are actually called cancer. And he said the same applies to the church. When churches only try to focus on what they're doing and aren't tithing and thinking about the kingdom, it's like cancer to the body. Um, 
He is, I would say, this kind of guy. He retires to be a senior pastor. Francis Chan leaves being in this box because these guys do tend to be, it's, it's the nature of their calling, thinking internal and shepherding the people and training and teaching the people while these guys, again, are outward. Does this make sense? Yes. Yeah. And where do you think the next generation is going again? Are they going, do they like this idea of come as you are? Or are they like, I want to follow the person that's like, go where they are. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of times I joke a lot that church, every sermon often ends with something like this. When I, I get to travel across the country and now even the world, a lot of sermons end like this, I've noticed. is The pastor preaches, then right after that, um, it goes like this. Basically, uh, the MC comes up, and I don't know about y'all, but MCs tend to talk different whenever they MC. They're like, kind of like, hey guys, like, how y'all doing? Like, isn't it? I was like, dude, you never talk like this when we're talking at Chili's or at Chipotle, but all of a sudden, when it's, oh my God, isn't this a great weekend, y'all? It's like, just to me personally, doesn't connect. I'm like, it comes off fake for me. Um, again, do what you want to do, but it's so animated. It's like talking to kind- kindergarten. It's like, oh my God, we love y'all. And then this is what it then turns into. And guys, before you leave, we just wanted to tell y'all, next week, we got this brand new series. And we always do this. We always say, and you do not want to miss it. We do it even in our videos. It's like we talk different. And so you're just like, oh my God, I got to come next week. I'm in the, I've, I'm always in the crowd. I've, I've, I'm not a pastor. And so I'm like, oh, I got to come next week. So I come next week. Oh God, I, I do not want to miss it, right? And so next week after the sermon, guess what happens? MC comes up. Oh my God, guys. Oh, we love y'all. Can we just give it up for the pastor? Because he uses his gift teaching. Um, but hey guys, uh, before you leave, I just want to tell y'all next Week, we got this brand new message, and you do not want to miss it. And so, what happens next week? Because I don't want to miss it. I come next week, uh, and what happens is it's new this time, luckily. So, next week, I come, and then the MC comes up afterwards. He's like, Hey guys, oh my god, we love- can we just give it up to the pastor? He got to use his gift, thank god. Hey guys, next week, I just it's not different by the way, it's the same thing. Um, hey, next week, I just want to tell y'all, you do not want to miss it. So let me tell you what happens next week. So next week, because you do not want to miss it. You never want to miss it, actually. Um, so next week, you know what happens? Does anyone want to show me what happens? Because I'm just telling you what the MC is going to do is something like this. Hey, guys. <laughs> and, and, and I know you're probably getting frustrated. Like, okay, dude, we get the point. Imagine being at the church. Imagine seeing that every single week. Like, dude, if your main call to action is come back next week, like we say that church is more than a building. We say that church is more than an event. <coughs> but why are we always then calling them to the building and the event? And why are we trying to call every Christian to mostly use their talents and their giftings that many are actually called to go and reach the city? And we're saying, how can you come and use that talent for our event in this building? Even the word serving is like, are you serving? It seemed like in the book of Acts, serving used to mean like actually serving the community and the people in need and the widows and orphans. Now serving means are you helping our event happen and be awesome? It's just like kind of a different definition of serving. And so the idea of come as you are, let me tell you what nonprofit leaders are saying. They're saying, hey, you are comfortable and you're doing this and you don't even know that across the world there are people that are hurting and need you or in your own neighborhood. They're, this is happening and this guy is doing this and we're going to try to shut them down or turn them off or we're going to come over here. Leave what's your comfortable uh, life that you're in and come with us and come and do this. 
Y'all see that, right? Like, that's what the world, the world is saying to the next generation, which one kind of actually sounds pretty close to Jesus. It's like, hey, leave that. Come and follow me. We're about to go change the world. The irony is they are chasing after the worlds uh, without a cause that's actually going to transform the world permanently. And so I keep asking, why is the most cause-oriented generation leaving the most cause-oriented organization, the church? My only conclusion is maybe it's because we have this division where we're just letting this type, these type of leaders decide what church is, and they're so uninspired by this type of church. Real quickly, I'll show you. How did we get here is I think church for a long time was a sacred event. It was almost mandatory. It's like you wore your Sunday's best. Does it Sunday best? Like, would, you, would we agree that if someone wore what is considered Sunday's best, it would probably be, like no one here is even wearing their Sunday's best. It would almost come off a little awkward. Yeah, amen, like yes. Uh, I don't, do, do y'all wear suits to church? Nope. Anyone does? I mean, okay. Yeah, suit and coat. Um, it was a thing. In Dallas, Texas, where I'm from, I asked older people, uh, or chronologically superior people. I know y'all don't like being called old. Um, I asked them, hey, back in the day on a Sunday, I know it's not like everyone went to church because everyone was a Christian. It seems like it was a social thing you kind of just had to do. And this older lady said, yeah, it's kind of like when I grew up, my family didn't go to church. But one thing we did, never did is we never went out on Sunday around the church time because you never wanted to be seen outside of church on that time. So we didn't go, but we didn't go outside either. I don't think it's that bad anymore, but it showed that there's this like sacred event of you got to be there. Then what happened was there's guys like Andy Stanley, Rick Warren, um, Ed Young, uh, Bill Hybels that saw that people actually were stopped going to church and they didn't feel like they needed to go anymore or they were hurt by church or rejected by church or unchurched or uh, what do they call it? De-church. Like they started going after these people that were hurt by the church or never church. Uh, we saw all this happen, and what they made a sacred event, and they made it kind of a sacred, awesome event. Um, did we see this, right? Like, it, people called it the secret sensitive movement. By the way, I got saved the very first time I went to Fellowship Church, which is Ed Young Jr.'s church. I got discipled two weeks later. And so I'm not trying to diss this. I'm actually saying I appreciate, I got to meet some of the staff at uh, Furtick's church, um, Elevation, and people once got he got asked, not Stephen, but one of the people on staff that create the culture, do you ever get uh, been out of shape that you get criticized for being called seeker sensitive? And the guy said, I'm never going to get critis- uh, been out of shape when people call me seeker sensitive because I serve a God and Jesus who said he came to seek and save the lost. And so, yeah, I want to be that. Um, and I personally think every church has a different bent and we should celebrate those differences. God made us different for a reason. It's not one side is better than the other. It's actually there should be a removal of this so that there can be us working together and just broaden what does it mean to be the church and what kind of leaders do we need to start giving more voice in the church. And so they made a sacred awesome event, but as you guys know, some people were like, okay, this is becoming too flashy, too slick, too fluffy. Um, And there was guys like, I already mentioned, Francis Chan, David Platt, Mark Driscoll, um, Matt Chandler, and many others that started being like, I want something more like real and raw. Because let's just be real, being shouted at by Matt Chandler is not seeker sensitive. Like... Um, Francis Chan, almost every message is like, he totally is prophetic in the sense of here's your heart and here's God's word. Uh, if you haven't seen me do this in the last track, but he, every sermon my Francis Chan is usually like, I just don't know, guys. I just, I just feel like this is what the word says and this is where our heart is and, and, and we're supposed to be here. Can, can, can we just 
do this? Can we just get here? Like, one day we're going to be in heaven and the angels are going to be like, holy, holy, holy. And I don't know. I don't want it to be this way. Can we just, can we just get on our knees and repent? And he just goes in on all of us. Not even, what is his verse? Love God and love people. It's not even like that profound. And we're like, are we even Christians? Because this guy really loves God. And he, he's not teaching us a lot of new stuff. He's reminding us and calling us back to God. And the next generation love these kind of, this kind of preaching. This idea of like, forget the fluff. I'm calling you to something bigger. Again, oh, coming back next week, it was like, let's go. And so this tension, again, I don't think these guys can't be senior pastors. I just think seminaries are, would you say seminary training is trying to train these kind of leaders or this kind of training? Most seminaries are bent and designed for shepherd and teachers. This is, I mean, and most churches that are really reaching the next generation aren't even trying to hire people out of seminaries. They're trying to hire from within. Have you all seen this? And so Sacred Awesome, what they did is they created a Sacred Awesome authentic event. And so in closing, I would say what needs to happen is that we need to not just add one more adjective to reach millennials or Gen Z. We just need to stop trying to add adjectives. And I would say change the noun is the focus needs to stop being how to make the event more awesome and make the people more equipped to be the body. Because actually, being in ministry means you're training others to go do the ministry. And you don't build it around a man. You build it around the message, and you disperse it. Um, If you don't know, Uber is one of the most successful car businesses in the world right now. It didn't even exist 10, 15 years ago, and it is disrupting the game. Like, it's got more global presence than... I don't see Ford when I go to Israel. I don't see uh, Ford when I go to Uganda. But I've seen, Uga- I've seen Uber in third world countries. I've seen it in, I've seen all types of Ubers. I've seen nice ones. I've seen really poor cars, but they all are Uber. That's that system of decentralized leadership because this idea that we build it around the speaker or the event, what if the speaker falls out of ministry? What if the speaker just retires? How many times have we seen their campuses shut down, the church lose giving, because we build it around this type of teacher instead of building it around the people being the ones? Because what happened when Jesus left his ministry? Did it grow or did it shrink? But when we leave, it shrinks. And if Jesus, who was the best teacher, built it around the disciples, why would we not do the same thing? That actually lasts 2,000 years well, there's a lot of churches, even 15 years ago, that aren't even around anymore. And back then, they were like the big churches in America. And I would say it's because, again, sometimes we focus so much on those type of giftings and this gifting right here. When you could do this without ever making disciples, actually. Uh, when I got convicted of discipleship, it was Jeff Vandersell, and he said, it's possible to impress Christians and never look like Jesus. And I was like, that's a bad culture and a bad system is that you could go and be a great speaker and never be a great disciple maker, and no one cares. And so my hope is that we would tr- not ask how we reach millennials or how to even reach people, but how do we train people to train people. Um, real quick, what this looks like is, a, is uh, that we would be like a pit stop. That doesn't mean we don't gather, by the way. The gathering is very important. We don't forsake the gathering. It just means we start to be more like a pit stop and less like the main event. And this is an analogy I'll use to show it. So pit stop pastors is what I would call them, is you guys are like, hey, we need you. you got to be recharged. we got to refuel you. we got to get you back in the game. This is, what, um, just, this is what the Formula One racing looked like in 1950. 
Um, Only four crew members, including the driver, are allowed to work on the car. It's a tense time. Holland stays in his seat, anxious to get away. Let's watch. Anxious to get away. outside of this is actually doing stuff in in the game and seemingly making a difference it makes it like eventually why don't I just go out there like I'd rather be a part of the race or the game than just taking my sweet time here when this is not the main thing They say that millennials have OCD more than the any other generation. It's obsessive the comparison disorder. The as and so as they're seeing away, people making a difference again. What if church, again, we cannot not gather, we cannot not come together, we need the body. I'm in no way trying to say that. I just think we need to change the focus. They have changed how they prepare for their people. And let's see what it looks like now. That's Sunday for y'all. It's just like, okay, we're done. It's on y'all at this point. Like, that's, that's building up the body and equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. That, that it's not all on us. Because my hope is that we get to a place where, heaven forbid, like, the whole staff was like, let's say, on a plane. And that plane went down. That that doesn't mean the church has to end. That means, okay, like with the disciples. What do we do now? Like, what they, Jesus had been equipping us for this moment we can now take this on because it's not dependent on the staff. It's actually, they're just there to keep things going and they're more of a launching pad than they're the main event. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, I know everyone in this room, if you ever went to seminary, you ever went into ministry, it's because you wanted to die for that mission. Like it's because you do bleed for that. And then we get into church and it just seems like it easily becomes like, who's really good at event planning and promoting and, and I'm just saying, it's not that we don't do those things. It's just, let's not miss this giftings. And let's definitely acknowledge these types of leaders because the next generation is, for whatever reason, and maybe it's just they're tired of this, for now, it might go back to that. But for now, they are attracted to this. And that doesn't mean the world's good at this and we only do that. It means God has given this type of DNA. We just need to start leveraging these type of leaders and definitely don't shut them down or make them feel bad because they're not using these type of talents for this when they were designed to go and use it to reach unbelievers in the world. Thank y'all. I'm going to bring up uh, Monica. Y'all, I, I, my best friend's getting married tonight or tomorrow morning, and so I do have to leave uh, in 40 minutes or my flight leaves, and so I'm going to head out. Um, I do have a book that has more on this. I am very thankful for y'all. And I really do, uh, as someone who is not a pastor, I can't do what I do without having the support of a church. And so, again, I couldn't fight more for... If you have young leaders that are out in the city and doing things in the culture, um, she's going to talk a little bit about what it looks like to utilize those people. She's calling the Uber because it's about to pick me up. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, y'all. 
Millennials, am I right? Um, so, super thankful for you, Grant. I'm excited to kind of continue the conversation with you guys on this. If you guys are curious, if you haven't heard of this model or no, you can actually Google online. There's a ton of tests um, that you can take that are free. So if you have people in your ministry, whether it's at a church or in your organization, and you're trying to identify where does their gifting actually fall, it could be a fun group activity. You guys take the test, and then it highlights what their giftings are and then how to utilize them. So I'm going to go into more of the practical side of this. How do we actually um, apply these things in a way where um, you have your your giftings played out, whether it's in your organization or your church, and then that individual gets seen and highlighted and you're able to leverage your young people for that. So um, really quickly, um, I'm going to go through these because I want to make sure we leave time for Q&A. Um, I know I'm not Grant, but I speak with him pretty much everywhere we go. So any questions you guys have, I can help answer as well. Um, but the first thing is to highlight them. And when we say highlight them, it's not just highlighting people um, with the traditional giftings that we normally highlight at a church. A lot of times, if you think about in your organization, when you're celebrating someone who's doing something well, you're normally celebrating someone who volunteers the most, who gives their time the most, who um, who uh, serves the most at your church, someone who um, is the, the, the person that's leading and volunteering really well, but how often do we highlight the person who maybe isn't there a lot? For me personally, for Grant personally, we're not, we are committed to our local churches, we're, we're tithing, we're involved, we, we're there as much as we can, but with our lives and what we do, we're not there every week in and out, but what we do is really awesome for the kingdom. So to have a church say to us, like, we want to highlight you and we want to champion you, Yes. Oh, I'm sorry, y'all. This is the worst. Oh. This, this is such an example of young people. It's so bad. <laughs> well, okay. See ya. Um, it's really important to do that. I, I want to talk also about business leaders. Um, a guy that Grant and I know that's invested in our ministry, a friend of ours, he is an architect for Walmart. And so he, his company literally architects and builds Walmarts everywhere. And he also funds tons of stuff. So like the movies, he funds Christian movies and lots of initiatives he gives towards. Um, and at his church, which is the village church, they recently did a video and highlighted him on screen, even though he's not there every week because he can't. So if you're highlighting someone like a business leader in your church and you're, you're putting them on the screen, you're saying, we see you, we love you. That's going to make all your other business leaders ears perk up and realize, wow, I'm seen here too. I belong here too. I have purpose here too. And your organization, highlighting someone who doesn't normally get highlighted, but maybe is consistently a part of the organization in some aspect, is a huge thing as well. Um, connect them. So if you guys went to any of our sessions yesterday, I spoke uh, on one of our sessions about women in the church, um, our place, our voice, what that looks like in the next generation, specifically talking about um, ways for you to, um, as pastors or as leaders, even if you're speaking on a regular basis to an audience as a male, are you having a woman look over your message and give you feedback on how that relates to women in your audience as well? The church is primarily made up of women. It always has been. Women are bringing their kids without their husband, or they're volunteering. They're making a lot of our programs run on a regular basis. And some of the analogies that we use on a daily basis, or on a weekly basis at our church, are analogies like picking up the laundry or taking the kids somewhere or jokes about how you're incapable without your wife. Well, the average women today 
isn't that woman. She's a woman who's working. She's uh, she's a woman who's a boss girl at this at this stage in life. She's a woman who's maybe not married and single in your audience. So finding ways to be more inclusive in that in your language will help you connect to them and connect that audience member. And think about that for men as well. Specifically as well, I want to say when you have gatherings, we see traditionally in organizations, churches as well, we gather people based on their their season of life. So um, I talked to a girl yesterday. She said, yeah, we have this great system in place. We have our, our, our above 50. They get together. We have our, our married young married couples. They get together. Then we have our singles ministry and the singles get together. That literally eliminates discipleship 100% by doing that. So it would be unbelievable. Watermark is a huge church in Dallas. I'm sure some of you have heard of it. They recently did a thing for teachers. And Grant and I are very curious people. So we were like, we're going to go. We're not teachers, but we're going to go see what happens. And they said, anybody that's a teacher, come to this event. So men and women, they look nothing alike, totally different ages, totally different seasons. They're gathering them together in a room, and they're hitting it off, and they're laughing, and it's building so much natural relationship and connection, which builds natural discipleship relationships. So think about that as you connect people. Don't think about, I'm just going to have a women's breakfast or a men's lunch. How do you say we're going to gather business leaders who are in the marketplace and they're all going to come together for this event? How do you say we're going to gather people that are, you know, teachers is an easy one to do in your sphere or around hobbies or topics so that you're getting people diverse groups together, not just one avenue. And that will naturally propel them and mobilize them. Um, Third thing is equipping them. So this is pretty obvious. um, But again, One thing we said yesterday that I talked quite a bit about in a session was um, I used an analogy of, do you guys remember the CD Walkman where you put the CD in and then you you used it to listen to music and if you had the one that didn't skip, it was like amazing because you could like run with it. Well then, you know, years later, not even that long later, the iPod comes out, the first one. It's a brick now. Like the fact that we use that was insane, but you, it could hold a thousand songs and you could create a playlist and you could, it would never skip and you could run with it. Same concept, reinvented in a new way. And so in the same way, when you equip people, everything that we talk about, you already have all the tools in your tool belt. But how do you reinvent it in a new way where it actually reaches people and mobilizes them in a way that it hasn't before? So when you're thinking about equipping people, you often think about how do I equip women for one thing? Because that's what we always have equipped them for. How do I equip men in one way? Because this is what we've always equipped them for. So thinking about what resources do we have? How do we reinvent that in a way where we then equip our body, equip our staff in a way that's new, that engages them in a way where they actually want to be a part of what we're doing? Uh, commission them. This one is one of my favorites. It's so practical. Any organization, any of you can do this. Um, I can't remember the church that does this. Grant would know, but um, they have a Sunday set where they actually commission um, marketplace leaders. So you know how, like, when someone goes to be a missionary at church, they bring them up front and they highlight them, and then they we're commissioning them this Sunday. We just are so excited about them. We're so excited about region. We want to pray for you. We want to send you out. Um, but And sometimes we see that with teachers, too. I see that a lot of churches. They bring all the teachers up before school starts, and they commission them, and they send them off to do their thing. But how often do we see that with everyday people? Um, right now, millennials make up 71% of the marketplace. And so they're out there working. They're in that sphere. So if you were to be intentional to say, if you work in business in any form, 
We want on this Sunday to commission you. We're going to have the elders lay hands on you and pray for you. We're going to actually send you out as missionaries into the world. Highlighting them in that aspect goes such a far way where they're going to be on mission for you because you've commissioned and called them out as missionaries from your church to do the work that they do in their day-to-day life. Similarly, in an organization, when someone leaves and transitions out, how often do we commission them out in a way that says we honor and bless you in your next season of life in front of everybody? We believe in you, what you're called to do, not just the ones that are doing something that is aligned with what we're doing, but maybe someone's going to another field, but saying, hey, we're, we're backing you, we're supporting you. Um, remove their guilt. Uh, this is a big one. Um, th- what this means, I'll give an example. It's, it's kind of going back to the same thing, trying to look at people, think of people who aren't your traditional um, spaces where we highlight and where we naturally tend to elevate in our spheres with as Christians. Remove their guilt is don't make them feel guilty if they miss a Sunday or they aren't serving in your capacity or they aren't uh, working towards the mission that's your mission. We're all on the same team. And so by creating a space for them to say, hey, we love you, we see you, we support you, uh, we want you to go do that. We want you to go serve in that area. We want you to be on mission here, but we want to be a part of it in some way. So how can you include us into that? How can we talk to the person that you're serving with? Can we can we support you somehow in that? It removes their guilt to feel like they're not serving God if they're not serving you. Um, because they are serving God. They are serving his mission. It just may not look through the vein in which you traditionally would hope it would. Um, and the last thing is utilize them in the city. Um, and so this is... Uh, we Again, reiterating everything we've said, it's how do we get them in the city doing something for the kingdom? And so one thing we talked about yesterday when we were talking about how to retain your, your best leaders, how to make sure that they stay with, with you, is we said, give them opportunity, let them fail, um, remove their guilt of failure, let them run a hypothesis on something. So if you have someone that's super evangelical, I will tell you guys, Gen Z, we've started doing a lot with them. They're 22 and still being born. They are the most evangelical group I've ever encountered. Like, millennials, we're not. We're just not like them. We're still afraid to share our faith. Gen Z is like, get me out there, and I'm going to go share my the gospel with so many people, and I'm unashamed because what the Word of God says. Like, those that are truly believing in God that are Gen Zers, they are so radical with their faith, and they're so evangelical. So use them in the city. Don't be afraid to let them start something. There are several students. Um, a student that came, he's at Beaumont. Uh, he came and heard us speak yesterday, and we had no idea, but when he was in high school, him and his group of friends took over their FCA, and they would get hundreds of kids to come to FCA gatherings on Monday nights. He told us he led like a small group. We are like, oh, that's cool. And Grant was like, can I see? And he shows us a video. They're on a stage outside, and there is a sea of youth. And this is led by teenagers that are doing this. This was less than two years ago. So if you were to say, I'm going to trust you, youth. I'm going to give you the space. We're going to back it. We're going to put our money where our mouth is, and you lead it. You'd be amazed to see how many people they get together to create these movements and and evangelize. And if you do it under the umbrella of your organization or your youth, then you're going to mobilize them to bring more people into the fold and into what you're doing. So don't be afraid to resource and back people in that way. Um, Yeah, and that's, and Grant put Unleash the Apes because um, apes. 
So unleash the apes. <laughs> so okay, that's uh, that's all we have. We have like twelve minutes left. So I want to leave time for some Q and A. I know we covered a lot of stuff. Grant talked a lot about kind of the the theology behind it, and I kind of shared the practical application of it. But any questions that you guys have, happy to answer at this point. Just raise your hand and holler at me. And it can be anything, even unrelated to this topic, if you have a millennial or Gen Z question. Yes? In churches where uh, the shepherds and the teachers, a good majority of them are old folks like me. Mm-hmm. And I got my official man, old man card. <laughs> you know, when you get your Medicare card. Oh, love it. Okay. So, um, what connection, what process is best for us, the shepherds and the teachers, to make the call and the connection? Yeah. Do you mean on like a practical level or like on a stage level or like in your staff even? Practical. I think the best way to do that if you're if you're the head pastor leading is are there any men um, that are younger that have a desire whether it's to teach or to to shepherd in some capacity and have you given them the platform in that way? Another way is uh, one thing that my church did is I do I do announcements a ton um, and I'm a female and I'm a minority female and I'm single so to put me on a stage and to have a mic. And my, the church I attend is a five-campus church, 10,000 members. It's a big deal, and they're, they're, they lean more conservative. So to have me welcome people, um, most churches traditionally wouldn't have me, the, like the stereotype on a stage, welcoming people to a church. So obviously someone that you trust, but thinking strategically of how do I, rep, how do I build representation on the stage for people that normally aren't represent, represented. Because if someone can see themselves on the stage, they will think, oh, there's a place for me here and a position of belonging for me here, and I have um, opportunity here to grow. So I think that's a simple, practical way to start, and then from there, really expanding into creating um, some of the things that we talked about. But a starting point is, do you have that representation? How are you uniquely leveraging people beyond their traditional roles? Yes? There's another kind of trend and idea that I've heard, and that is... there's the large church, institutional church support among millennials is really dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just here locally. It's just Texas, Florida, Georgia. Yeah. I'm just wondering, what are the implications? And there needs to be a conversation about this because mm-hmm. this is going to have a significant impact on the future of building churches. Yeah. And, and there needs to be a conversation about that among church leaders. It's happening, but it's usually whispers. Yeah. They don't want to talk too much outside. How do you have that conversation? Is this something? Is this? Could you state your premise again? What's the? What's your premise? Um, the growing number of small churches, house churches, cell churches. It's a growing yeah, movement among millennials, yeah. mm-hmm. and I, I just want to make sure I'm not off base with that. I mean, this mm-hmm. is something that I didn't come up with. This. And these are mega church leaders in Houston. I had a long conversation with a guy in Houston that they're concerned about what this means for them in 20 years. Mm-hmm. That conversation needs to start happening because there's not a lot of support for large institutional churches, the S and T's. Mm-hmm. Among millennials, yeah, so, I agree. Yeah, have you heard that conversation going on, or how do we start that? For sure, I think that it's definitely a reality, not just a conversation. I would say that, as far as practically, I mean, we're not going to facilitate that. I think it's something that a lot of these churches fall under larger umbrellas of organizations that then you know lead and and kind of have those conversations. But I would say, from what we're seeing and my experience, is that um, it really is something where 
you have to reinvent yourself. That's the that's the word I really use over and over again. And so anyone you talk to, it's how do we reinvent ourselves? I don't think we need to change what we're doing or the heart behind it, but we need to reinvent ourselves in a way that's relevant uh, to reaching the next generation and to calling them into the fold. Because what I see is a lot of young people who say, I'm a Christian, I'm meeting with the group, but there it's it's Lord of the Flies. It's the it's the blind leading the blind. You're only going to grow to the level of the person that's in front of you. And so if there's no eldership, no leadership, no structure in place, there's a reason for that design, then then the future of the church is really in trouble in the next ten years. I, I do believe the next ten years are crucial. We talk about that all the time. But I would say that for sure. If you are a part of a local church and an expression, now is the time for you to really think, what are we doing to reinvent ourselves in order to really practically engage? And it doesn't have to change what you're doing. I did a whole, We did a whole session on this yesterday on reinventing yourself and the practical things you can do internally in your culture and other things. I think they'll have the sessions online, but if you guys want to hear more about that, that's the session where we went in depth on how to do that. Yes, sir. For sure. Um, the question was, what are some vehicles we can use to um, reach and reinvent for the next generation? Um, quickly, in your internal culture, uh, one thing that you could do is make it part of your language. A church that has, does really well at this, they actually, in their staff meetings, ask each staff person to say, who is one young person we don't know about that we need to know? And then another person on staff has to reach out to that individual. So they create a culture where you talk about it at the table and then you engage with them. Um, second thing to do practically would be um, a church that I attend in Dallas at, at the end of service. Most churches we do this. We do a, a call to action. It's a prayer. If you want to receive Christ, bow your head, close your eyes, raise your hand, and then you know we close out the service after. The church I attend after they do this, and this is one of the churches that's reaching millennials in a way that I've never seen, like unsafe people coming to Christ in Dallas. At the end of service, they say, if you made that decision today, or if you're serious about your faith and want to follow Jesus, we're asking you to give us one year of your life and to be committed to this house. Give us a year. They openly say it from the stage and platform, and then they say, your next step is growth track. Here's when it's happening. And I meet people, when you meet people that have name tags that are serving, you ask, oh, how long have you been here? And actually, what, you know, what are you, like, what brought you to this church? And they all say, I'm at, I just hit my year mark anniversary. I just have been, I'm here six months into my year commitment. I just started my year commitment at the church. It's part of their language and culture. And so practically doing that is a, is a big thing too. Uh, but I would encourage you to, if you can listen to the session I did, I go into depth on like several different things. Yes. You may mention earlier that um, millennials are afraid to share their faith. Yes. Why is that, and what are some strategies that uh, we can implement to help with that? Yeah, I would say, in short, um, Grant talked about the generation that was a sacred event. You know, like it was we go to church because it's what we do. Our, our parents um, took us to church for the similar similar reasons, and it was like part of what we do. So we grew up being like being told this is what we do. This is truth. This is what we know. Then World Wide Web hits. We have access to everything on our phone. We start to Google things and realize, is this really true? Is it not true? So there's a bunch of, um, there's a disconnect between truth and what the world is communicating as truth with this generation. And the reality is that, unfortunately, most of the churches we grew up in told us the Bible, but didn't really teach us how to study the Word of God for ourselves, or how to build a relationship with the Word ourselves, or to understand, if this is truth, then what's my response to this? If God's Word says God created man and woman for one another, 
and that's true, then how does that play out with the whole sexual confusion? And no one told me that. So I think Gen Z, I've noticed, they actually have more biblical literacy than millennial generation does. So we were not taught truth and how to study the Bible, and it really, like, exegeted in a way where we can understand why, how it applies to our daily life and culture because there's a lot of taboo things our parents didn't want to talk about. And so, but now the next gen, it's all on the table. So they got to find the truth in the word and they've got to be aligned to it. So I think if you can create a space where you talk about hot topic questions, and you, but you back it up with scripture and teach people why it's the truth, then I think a millennial will be more confident because in conversations we have with our peers, they bring a lot of things. Like, if God's all loving, why would he do this? If God's this, and we don't know the answer. So, and then it's like, then you get confused yourself about your faith. So it's a lot of just confusion on that aspect. Are we out of time? I don't know where we're at. Are we good? Three minutes? Okay, cool. One more, yeah. The incident part that you just talked about, that's fascinating to me because that's like what I see is the biggest, like, they want to go and want to go, yeah. but then like there's this either fear or like almost animosity yes. towards committing yep. to anything. And yes. So what makes the difference there is it just being asked to commit? Mm-hmm. What, what do you, yeah. how does that I, I have found that um, with this generation, if you're leading this generation as well, or Gen Z, um, they're, we're annoyed by them. They suck. You know, we get it. We are. We know what it's like. But the most success we have found is to put expectations up front. So this church that's doing really well, they're saying, give us a year up front. And their growth track, they say, um, you, in the next quarter, we want to see you tithing every month, and we're going to pair you with a financial advisor to go over your budget. If you don't know how to do that, you don't think you have the money to do it. We want to see you exercising three times a week because your physical health is just as important as your spiritual health. If you don't know how to do that or where to start, we're going to pair you with someone on staff to do that. And personally, in leading millennials, it's being up front. I just, we just put one of our staff members who's new with us on an action plan. And it wasn't because we don't love you and support you. It's, hey, there are some areas in your performance, and we love you, so we're going to coach you in these areas. The more coaching, the more accountability you give up front, the more buy-in. Because we're the fatherless generation. We're the parentless generation. We need the accountability as much as possible. You definitely have to phrase it in a loving way. I'm not going to say you could, like, it can be hard truth, but the more you put the expectation up front of what's expected, I think the greater result you'll, you'll see and those people staying committed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, one more. This side of the room, we're getting no love. Yes. What will it look like um, for millennials, connecting millennials, when they get older, start settling down, getting married, having kids, and when their kids become preschooler, uh, older preschooler, or younger school-age children, will some of these dynamics change? Will they have more of a use for traditional programs, yeah. church for their kids? What, what will, when they start having children, what will that dynamic look like? Be? Well, um, studies have shown that they're actually not a lot of churches assume they would boomerang back like most generations have. Like once you get married and have kids, you come back to the church because you want them to have morals and things instilled in them. This generation is not boomerang, boomeranging back. So I would say I don't know what it's going to look like, but I do think, again, I can't stress enough. Um, I mean, you guys saw how Grant gets emotional about this. Like the next 10 years really are going to determine the future of the American church. We're becoming most like more post-Christian with every passing day. If any of you have never studied Europe and their trends with Christianity, we are on the same track uh, here in the States. And so I would say the more that you can 
do what you can in your sphere to create practical discipleship and build relationship and have accountability and walk with people and make them multipliers, the greater hope we'll see for the next generation to do that. But it is going to take a, um, a more authentic, true love for Jesus, not this fluff that our culture has created that we just go to church to go to church. I think we will see churches that are thriving with people who truly believe in Jesus and follow him and live their lives aligned with scripture. And then we will see a movement of people reaching people outside of that. That's my hope. But again, I don't know. I would say that's the current trend is they're not coming back. So thank you guys so much. Um, I will say we have some of Grant's books. If you guys want to buy them, um, I'll be up here and talk to you guys too. Thank you, Monica. Let's give Monica a hand. <laughs> My name is Jason Stewart. I'm part of the Exponential team. Uh, and uh, we're just thankful for Grant and Monica. They're kind of extended family of our team, and we learn a lot from them. We're uh, This conversation of millennials and, and really... Um, of disciple making is important to us as exponential because we're we call ourselves we're a community of church multiplication activists. A lot of people know us through our conferences, but we're really engaged deeply in providing content and cohorts and experiences for a greater community around the conversation of what church multiplication looks like. And we really break that down into three dimensions: disciple making at the core, mobilization of every Christian into their calling for mission, and then capacity building, which is our own personal leadership and then our churches operating systems to see more disciples made and more churches uh, multiplied. So we want to deliver to you some resources to help you on that journey. Um, and one of those is a free disciple-making kit where we partnered with discipleship.org several years ago. And you have leading voices like Jeff Vanderstelt, Jim Putman, Bill Hull, Robert Coleman, uh, Francis Chan, who um, had, had a conversation around the core elements of disciple-making for our own life as a disciple-making lifestyle, but also in your churches. So that's a free hours of video resources resources for you and, and for you to use in groups or with your church. So download that. That's free. We normally put that like a $49 cost, but we just want to give that to all of our forum attendees uh, uh, this week. So grab that. If you don't have a card, there's some on the back um, as you leave. So that um, And just to say, I think the thing that I take away is I listen to Grant and Monica every time. I, I, one time Grant said, I use the conversation of reaching millennials, which their book, Grant's book, The Passion Generation is great of reaching millennials as a Trojan horse to get into the conversation of disciple-making. And I know we're all wanting to know how can we reach millennials, and the way we reach millennials is we engage them in relational discipleship. That's what they're hungry for. That's what they're dying for. And then um, as we disciple them, we mobilize them to be for them to reach their generation in our churches and our communities. So I know you're encouraged by that. Again, Monica, thanks a lot for you and Grant being a part of this. So um, thanks for being a part of this today, guys. That's it for today's episode. Make sure to check out Winfield Bevin's ebook that we mentioned at the top of the episode by going to discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Multiply Disciples. Thanks for listening. Until next time.